Welcome to the Radical Mother Village. If you're new here, a radical mother is a woman poised in her power, ready to disrupt cycles of generational trauma running through her family like wildfire. She's working to improve her life, the lives of her children, and shape the landscape of her community. If that's you, you're in the right place. This podcast is designed to connect you with resources, inspiration, and the reminder that you are not alone as you embark on your journey of radical mothering. I'm your host, Krista Bevan, dynamic self-care coach for radical moms, and I'm so excited you're here with me. Now let's dive in. Hey mamas, welcome back to another episode of the Radical Mother Village podcast. You ever have those times in life where you know something and you've lived something, but you need somebody outside of yourself to sort of remind you of what you already know? That's what today's conversation with Carrie Magnus felt like, because Carrie is talking about adrenal fatigue and burnout and the wisdom of listening to your body, and it was exactly what I needed to hear back when we did this recording, because I have kind of been in this place, and I have experienced adrenal fatigue in my life before my son was born. This was many, many years ago when I was dealing with healing from a celiac disease diagnosis. It sort of came all at the same time, you know, in that getting really sick to the point that I finally went to the doctor to be diagnosed. I also was really burning myself out, which, you know, it's sort of a chicken or egg situation, which thing happened first, but I was really in a bad adrenal fatigue situation. So I've dealt with this before. That's that's the reason that I'm telling you that. And so I'm no stranger to what it's like when your cortisol is dysregulated and your hormones are all out of whack. And yet even knowing that I had sort of started slipping into that place a little bit in my life now, um, and I needed the conversation with Carrie to really help remind me of what I knew was going on anyway so that I could call the doctor and make an appointment and get on some supplements to help support my healing, but then also really just have a conversation with myself and do everything that we talk about in this episode. So I am personally very grateful that I had this conversation with Carrie when I did, but I think that you are also going to find it really helpful because so much of what she talks about is such a familiar experience to so many of the radical mothers that I know and love and work with, and I just, I think that she has a really beautiful gift of breaking information down in a way that makes it easy to digest and understand. And she has such wisdom and compassion, having experienced adrenal fatigue so severely in her own life and in her experience of becoming a mother. So Carrie Magnus is a holistic psychologist. She's also a body talk practitioner, as well as a wife and, of course, a fellow radical mother. Carrie supports women who are deeply called to make an impact in the world, to embrace their purpose without burning out. Because as she talks about in this episode, becoming a mother was a major trigger for Carrie's own journey of transformation and rebirth and conscious mothering, which continues to be a gateway into further growth and rediscovery in her own life. And it was through her journey of adrenal fatigue syndrome that Carrie discovered the gift in the fatigue as her body communicated that something needed to change for her. And that journey involved not just healing her body, 
but really allowing her to align with her soul and then share that out to the world. So as you can imagine, I absolutely love, you know, not that she had to go through the struggle, but the outcome of what that struggle really looked like and how she's turning that into such a beautiful purpose in her life. And in this conversation, we talk about the perfectionism trap of motherhood, what that looks like, how it shows up, how it contributes to adrenal fatigue, and also where it comes from and how it has its roots being a trauma response and an adaptation to, you know, childhood situations that may not have honored us. And we talk about that more. And then, of course, Carrie gets into a lot of information about adrenal fatigue and really how she was able to, through that process, reconnect and listen to the wisdom of her body. And that's where her work as a body talk practitioner comes into play now. And she helps to facilitate that conversation and remembering of connection with clients to their own bodies and to their own inner wisdom. And this was such a helpful episode for me. It's one of the great delights of hosting this show is that not only do I get to spread this information with all of you, but frankly, I get to benefit from it as well by having these wonderful conversations and getting to ask questions of such knowledgeable, generous guests like Carrie. So I really, really appreciated this conversation and I know that you will as well. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode, a conversation with Carrie Magnus. All right, mamas, welcome back to another episode of the Radical Mother Village podcast. I'm so excited today to be chatting with Carrie. Welcome, Carrie. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, it's lovely to be here. So Carrie, the first place I like to start with all of my guests is asking the question how you connect with the idea of being a radical mother and what you are doing in your mothering journey that makes you a radical mother. So this idea of consciously breaking cycles of trauma and really shifting the experience that our children have versus what we had as ourselves. So Mm -hmm. what are you doing and how does your story sort of fit into that idea? So it's so interesting because as a psychologist, I had very firm ideas about what I was not going to be because I saw what the wounding did to people from their childhood and how it created the adults they became. And my strong ideas about what kind of mother I was going to be actually ended up being perfection and expectations that were just reasonable, <laughs> which was which was very much in line with my personality and and actually ultimately created burnout for me. And a big part of my journey has been that acceptance of the fact that I can't be perfect and that they are not perfect. So, and obviously, and the realization that it it all starts with me. It's not even really so much about them. It all starts with me. And, And they give me many, many opportunities to relearn and transform my own wounding to just be a better mother through the challenges, not through being perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The perfectionism theme is something that I see come up a lot with radical mothers. It's like perfectionism and idealism. 
because we have such strong opinions about how things should be or how things shouldn't be that that can sometimes back us into the corner of how they actually are and, and it can kind of keep us from seeing things um, the way that they are, which which can sometimes be a big hurdle to overcome. What helped you recognize that perfectionism wasn't going to work for you in motherhood? Burning out. <laughs> Burning out. I, I like I... I decided to have a home birth because I was going to, so this was my first child, my daughter. I was going to have a home birth so that I could be close to her from the very, very beginning. And there was going to be that beautiful bonding and skin contact and all of that lovely attachment stuff. And of course, you know, being, being so anxious to have it right, essentially actually created a lot of anxiety during the birth and I it, it was a two-day labor and eventually I had a good old-fashioned dose of castor oil and that got things going and but by that stage I was so exhausted that I um, actually hemorrhaged and so ended up in hospital and separated from my daughter and in fact separated more so than I would have been if I'd had a normal birth in hospital because they put me in ICU and she wasn't allowed to be with me. And I suppose that should have been the first sign for me that you can't plan everything and you can't be the mother that you think you want to be. You can just run with it and then try and give the child the support that they need and be the best that you can in the situation. And that's, it really set me up because on a, on a back foot there because I was exhausted from the de- first day and she ended up having reflux and I I was reading all the books to do it right and I was listening to all the podcasts to do it right and the whole time there was this little voice that was also saying just throw it all away and listen to yourself but I was far too overwhelmed and far too tired to be able to connect to me and to listen to what needed to happen and it was actually only once I'd started being treated for adrenal fatigue syndrome when she was 13 months old because I somehow managed to crawl my way through those first 13 months when just like a total fog. I felt like I was stuck in mud most of the time. Everything was thick and heavy. And then yet I couldn't sleep because I was wired. And and I dreaded night times. I dreaded wakings. It was just... I, I dreaded sometimes even spending time with her because I, I just had to have energy for that and I didn't. And when she finally started sleeping a little bit better, when she finished teething at 13 months, I crashed properly. I think that there was just no coming back from that. And that was when I was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue syndrome. And it gave me uh, the permission, because I needed permission from someone else, to stop and to reconsider what I was doing. And yet even then, I didn't really do it properly because I I started feeling better, and the first thing I did was go back into doing it the way I had done it before. And so I continued to crash four times in five years, I think it was, or four times in four years after that. But the whole way through, I was learning more and more about myself, and I was surrendering in small ways. I was letting go. I was exploring what it, what my truth was rather than trying to figure it out from 
books and from experts out there. And um, so you asked what helped me to realize that the perfection was a problem. If I carried on with the perfection, uh, I just, it wasn't possible. I, could, I couldn't carry on like that. It just wasn't an option for my health and my well-being. And, but it was damn hard to stop because the perfection is what helped me to feel safe. It's what helped me to feel like I was in control because, I mean, this is all part of, this is now all part of my work as we were talking about before the podcast is, it is also interconnected because I, I have come to realize that most women with burnout and fatigue, they have a background of having felt unsafe in some way and therefore they they learn to hold everything together and to be in control and to be perfect because it helps them to feel less overwhelmed and to feel more in control and more safe but ultimately we can't keep it up and that's what happened to me and and as as difficult as it was it was a very very important lesson that I needed to learn and one I'm extremely grateful for yeah well, thank you for sharing all of that. Your story of your daughter's birth sounds very similar to my son's. Okay. Um, so I can, I can really resonate with a lot of what you said and just that idea of just starting off motherhood being so depleted right out of the gate, yeah. right? Yeah. It's so tough. And then and then again, this idea of of clinging to perfectionism. I love what you said about perfectionism being a way of exercising control especially in motherhood when so much feels like it's out of our control, right? All of a sudden we have these tiny humans to care for that are as unpredictable as anything where we're not eating right. We're not sleeping right. We're not taking care of ourselves. We're solely focused on these tiny creatures. And that perfectionism, like you said, is a grasp at control so that we don't feel so overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. It is a protective mechanism to keep us trying to feel safe but it doesn't really work. And it usually comes at our expense. Like you were saying, crashing yeah. or being actually further diagnosed overwhelmed. With something. Or even further overwhelmed. Yeah, or further, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or further overwhelmed, yeah. right? Because I think whether it's adrenal fatigue syndrome or it's thyroid conditions or, you know, any other host mm-hmm. of things that women get diagnosed with, that depletion that happens in those early years is so prevalent. Yeah. Right. I read an article that said that it was such a great article that basically most, a large number, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. I can't remember the numbers, but a large number of cases of postnatal depression are actually just pure physiological depletion mm-hmm. and hormonal imbalance as well from lacking sleep and not having enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally believe that. And it just, you know, one thing that we've talked about on this podcast a lot before is that women are expected to do everything. Mm -hmm. And that part of that comes from this myth that still exists that a good mother is a good martyr, which I've debunked a thousand different ways on this show before. But it's also that that's the system that we live in, right? That we have these these setups where we're in single nuclear family households mm-hmm. expected to do everything. And we're expecting one or two adults to do all of the work of a village and it doesn't work. Yes, exactly. So I, I love that you said that. That is also because I have to be honest for me, my husband is very hands-on, but I didn't let him take on control because 
I believed it had to be me, especially in those. And of course, there was the fact I was breastfeeding and that that, that had to be me. And there was no point in in him feeding her with a bottle at night because then I'd, I'd wake up anyway and then I couldn't go back. So it was just like easier to do it myself. And at the end of the day, I was also, it is, it's all this holding. I was holding for him too because I could see he was tired. So then I was like, well, I don't want to put more on him. So I'll take it on. That's the martyr role, isn't it? And and yes, it, it it ends up being too much for the mother and sometimes too much, as you say, for both the parents. Or oh, and of course, so many household home what am I what am I saying? Families, what it uh, makeup. So not even just sometimes it's a single mum. You know, it's the makeup of the family is so it's so small, it's it's nothing near like the, the village and the community that we would once rely upon. Can you just go, can we go back to the adrenal fatigue for a moment? And can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like? And you said that you crashed several times in the, in just a few short years. What does that mean when you say that you okay. crash? No, that's a great question. So what it's, there's actually stages of it and it starts off just being tired, less, more tired than normal. And there can be other symptoms like not sleeping as well. There can be uh, heart palpitations, irritability, um, just generally feeling that the energy is a bit off. But then what happens is is that at the beginning, there can also be a wired state as well because the cortisol levels so there's different there's different understandings of this. Some people say the adrenals actually become depleted. Other people say it's your whole HPA axis, your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis that is actually out of balance so that you are responding in the wrong way to stress or you respond too easily to stress and then you don't come down into a relaxed state fast enough. So, so the adrenaline spikes very quickly. So you find, I mean, I remember saying to my therapist, you know, it's possible that I'm bipolar because I wake up in the morning feeling like I've been hit by a bus, but some evenings I'm dancing around the kitchen. What is that? And she didn't know anything about adrenal fatigue. She just told me to go and see a doctor who then tried to put me on antidepressants. And at that point, I knew I needed something, but I also knew it wasn't antidepressants. But then I also got to a point where I was like, well, if this is the only answer for me at this point, then maybe I should try. So I did try for a short stint. And and I'm not saying that antidepressants is not the answer for some people. For me, it didn't feel like it was right. So, so it was, it was also, I'm just, I'm trying to like take my mind back there. It's like living in a fog. Like I say, you, it's like you're depersonalized. You're not even in your own body half the time. You're not connected to what's going on. It's kind of like life is happening, but you're not even a part of it. I remember people talking about their lives at the moms and babes groups and then saying how tired they were. And me, and I was thinking that, like, what's wrong with me? Because I feel, my experience feels like it's very different from their experience because I could barely even participate in the conversations. <laughs> I was so tired. And they were all quite, like, bright-eyed and, oh, I had such a bad night last night and I feel like I'm in a puddle on the floor, basically. And and then I would try and fall, as I was falling asleep, my adrenaline would spike. So I'd be like, whoa, heart racing, mind racing, couldn't sleep, no matter how exhausted I was. So there's that sort of variance in the wired and tired. But it goes through that to just becoming complete exhaustion. And a, a crash is is when 
the symptoms are so bad that you you literally can't get off the couch. And I would find for me what would happen as well is I would basically be in constant panic during a crash. It would be my my heart, I'd have heart palpitations, panic attacks, my stomach would be running. It was just like I was just in constant anxiety and I felt like I was dying, which was part of the panic attacks and anxiety as well. And and just physically completely done and it was interesting because I started to learn when I was going to do that so I could feel what would happen is is that I could feel I was in this overwhelming urgency so I'd be pushing pushing and doing because that's what helped me to feel so the more overwhelmed I became the more I did the more I tried to control because I was trying to feel like I was actually on top of things even though I was deeply in a hole and and I was just digging that hole deeper and deeper and I could feel I was doing it and I could feel that there was the dizziness and the fatigue and I, I knew that I, I knew that I was depleted but I couldn't stop and then I could always I could always feel that there would be a moment where something happened where either so the first one was when my daughter as uh, stopped started sleeping a bit better the second crash was when my son started sleeping a bit better the third crash was there were three traumas in a row in my that directly or indirectly affected me and I felt all the way through that that I was in this fight flight mode constantly and I knew if I don't if I don't watch this I'm going to crash again and so I kept on trying to bring in the tools that I've been starting to learn about and then I went on holiday and I knew on holiday, I was like, this is it. This is what's going to bring the crash now. So you know how sometimes when you're pushing in work and then you go on holiday and then you crash, it's it's the mm-hmm. same mechanism. It's like your adrenaline can finally just go, and then all of that fatigue just nails you. <laughs> and Totally. And that's what the crash is. It, it often comes after a moment of actually having relaxed a bit. And it's it's when it's, you just, you just, can't anymore so that's yeah that's what happened and and then the very very last time that's in fact sorry it was that time I I I knew that the crash was going to come and I said this is going to be the last time I ever get to this point I need to I need to figure out what it is about me and my situation me and how I am showing up how I'm experiencing life that is making me predisposed to do this because I can't just keep taking the supplements and eating the right food. It, it's it's only the band-aid. It's it's not actually addressing the core. And unfortunately at that point, even though I was exhausted, I wasn't shattered to the point of not being able to self-reflect and do a little bit of inner work. And it was that it was then when it kind of all just fell into place for me where I'd had a realization that I have never felt safe in my life. And I'm not talking the kind of safe from crime, which in South Africa is a very real thing because crime, I mean, one of the traumas that I had experienced was that my neighbor and friend had had a home invasion and they actually stabbed her husband. Uh, He he fortunately was okay, but I, I was there to support them. So crime is a very real aspect. It was particularly where I lived there, we moved afterwards. But it was, it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's the safety that is, that is so primal. It is the safety that I belong, that I'm loved, that I'm accepted. 
And and I then realized that most of my clients who, who were coming to me with chronic fatigue and burnout and autoimmune disorders, fibromyalgia, had the same experience of not having felt that they were enough just the way they were. And, and what I mean by this is, and this is where it feeds into the parenting again, because, okay, firstly, our parents all did the best they can with what they had and based on what they experienced. But most of our parents did not know how to hold our emotions. And emotions would have triggered them and their emotions. So their responses would have ranged from ignoring or punishing the child for having an emotion, like time out. So I'm not going to debate ways of discipline here. Some I know lots of people still use time out, and I, think they, and I definitely think we need limits and boundaries. I'm just going to leave it at that. But it can sometimes feel for a child that they're being shamed for having an emotion, that they maybe can't control. Then a parent can just emotionally disconnect. And I remember that feeling, particularly with my father, it was like a door was shut in my face. It was like he just was there, but he wasn't there. And that is, it's a, it's a feeling that especially more sensitive and empathic children are very, very aware of. They can try and distract. So, oh no, yeah, let's have a, have a, some candy and, you know, or watch TV. But the message is your emotions and your expression, because it's the expression, it's the expression of their needs and their feelings. Your emotions, your needs, your expression is, is not good. Or, and, and the message, and that's not what the parents are trying to say. It's not at all. But unfortunately, that's what a, ch- a child can, can experience from that. And the child can also create the belief, I'm not enough or I, my needs are not important. And from that can come this awareness that, the mom, that mom and dad or caregivers are not okay. And I need to, to rescue them. I need to do what I can so they're going to be okay. And so there's that tendency then to already start holding and taking things on. So you're now holding all your emotions together. You're holding for other people. And then you start putting other control mechanisms in place to feel in control, to manage those emotions, to feel enough and to feel safe. And it's not just... Unfortunately, it's not just caregivers. In fact, some caregivers try, really try their best to to tolerate and 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 um, allow emotions. But society doesn't allow emotional expression. I mean, if you look back at women being treated for hysteria, uh, you know, emotions are not a good thing apparently. But emotions are the feminine expression, and the feminine expression has for very long not been validated, and. You're especially a woman expressing anger. I mean, I noticed even with myself, with my son and my daughter, my different responses to their anger was quite interesting. It's like, huh, that's a weird, that's, I didn't realize that it was more, I found it more, I felt it on some level, it was more acceptable for him to have anger than for her. And interestingly, she's a very angry child. So it's, so I needed to see that. I needed to, to explore that belief system that I have. So there's all these predominant uh, beliefs and, values in society in schools about how we need to show up and it is valued if you are strong and capable and if you can manage your emotions which usually means suppress them and if you can achieve and succeed 
which oftentimes means we're suppressing our truth and we're striving for something that's not always possible and exhausting ourselves in the process. Yeah. Wow. You just covered so many things that we could deep dive into. I love it. Also, I just, I agree with so much of what you just said. So I want to, okay, let me organize my thoughts here. I want to go back for a moment and then we'll move into the, some of the stuff that you were talking about most recently, because I want to cover all of this. I think it's excellent. For those listening who are going, wait a minute, maybe adrenal fatigue and burnout is what I'm dealing with as well. What were some of the things that you did, some of the tools that you used to finally stop those symptoms and move your way out of that? For those people listening who are looking for some hope about how to navigate Hmm. through this period of life. So I actually take my clients through five steps, five processes, because in my own healing journey, I realized that that's what I did and what I was doing unconsciously with my clients. So the first part and the most important part is acceptance of the fatigue and realization that your fatigue is your body's way of telling you that something that you're doing is out of balance and that it's an opportunity to figure out how to get it all back in balance. Because what we tend to do is we resist and get angry with our bodies and with the fatigue and the resistance takes energy. So it's just, and that creates this perpetual cycle. So number one is acceptance and changing the perspective on the whole body mind. Our, our bodies are our bodies are always doing the best they can at any given moment and they know how to come back into balance, but they can't do that when there's too much stress. It's like a trip switch. And so your body's actually it will start whispering in small little ways where it's just like, "Oh, I'm feeling more quiet, more um tired than normal at night," or "The mornings are a little bit harder than normal." And you push through And maybe there's a little bit of dizziness and you push through and then it just starts screaming because you're not listening. Yeah. So your body sometimes has to bring you to a knees so that you can start listening. And we were once very deeply, deeply connected to our bodies. But the way we do life these days is a massive disconnect. It also goes back to a childhood where when you expressed what your body was feeling and you expressed your needs, other people couldn't hear it. So what do we do? We disconnect because it's too painful then to feel it. So, so the next part of it is to connect again. So for people doing this at home, what that is, is, well, firstly, you have to stop. You can't connect if you're not stopped. <laughs> if you're not still, it's impossible to feel. And we can't heal without feeling. So the stopping is a conscious decision to bring a practice, whether it is meditation or breathing or grounding anything where you bring in short periods of rest and stop yoga nidra was amazing for me i can highly recommend karen brody's book daring to rest and her yoga nidra program grounding is for me it was amazing because it introduced the concept of being held and allowing myself to surrender into something, the mother energy, the earth energy of the mother. So 
I did a lot of grounding. The, you can also use tremoring or shaking. So just standing on the balls of your feet and gently just bouncing up and down and keeping the body very relaxed and loose and doing that for a while just to get the energy flowing again. Because a lot of us spend our time in a freeze state. And so it, we go from fight and fight. We can, instead of being in fight and flight, actually just go into freeze and stay there. So stop. The stopping also breaks accumulative stress. So if we've been, we don't even realize that we're supposed to be, I think the statistics are you're supposed to be in fight and flight 20% of the day and rest, digest 80% of the day. It's probably more like the other way around. And for some of us. Or even more than yeah, that. Some of us more. And so there's this cumulative stress response in the body where all your systems are impacted by it, which is why adrenal fatigue is very complex and it shows up differently for different people because it impacts the whole hormonal system. So your thyroid can be impacted, your blood sugar, so low blood sugar is another aspect of it. Your liver will be impacted because if your blood sugar is out, it can impact your liver and the detox process also gets, can, can be impacted. Your whole gut can be impacted by it. There's obviously energy because you're using energy to be in fight flight. There, there are so many different ways in which constantly staying in fight and flight causes systemic imbalance in the body. So we have to stop and rest and allow a recalibration and a rejuvenation. It can be really hard to do when the default state is to go, 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 because our sense of self is so tied into that. So for the starters, it's just about recognizing, recognizing that that's your pattern, recognizing that it's really hard for me to stop and having compassion with the self for that as well. Because then most people, most of my clients beat themselves up for that, you know, because they're very hard on themselves. And so it's having compassion for that little person inside who has only ever known how to do this because this is the only way that I felt safe. So stopping and connecting can also be meeting that inner child. So the connection phase is, so it's stop, it's then connect, uh, connect to the body, connect to the inner child and connect to something greater than the self. So connecting to the body will be just doing like a body scan and starting to feel when your body's tense and when it's loose. That's a good place to start. And where it's tense and you'll find that you have a typical ways it shows up, like in the jaw, in the middle back can be one as well. Shoulders, neck, connecting to inner child, hand on heart and saying to that, that, that little part, that inner child part of you, I'm sorry, it's so hard. And, and also, I, I like to say it's, it's not the same as it was back then because you're not alone anymore. Because this adult part is far more capable than that little child part was. She didn't have the words. She didn't understand. She couldn't reach out. She couldn't read a book and you know get meaning for it. Whereas as adults now, we can, if we can't manage it ourselves, at least we can reach out to someone else and get that support. So it's realizing we're no longer alone and we don't have to be self-reliant anymore. So just connecting with that child, you're not alone. And the connection to something greater for me has been the connection to what I call divine masculine and divine feminine. The, we, have tended to, we have tended to live in the unconscious masculine place of being disconnected from the feminine. We actually need both. So some people say, oh, you must no more masculine, let's go all feminine. And, and actually that doesn't work either. 
because the masculine provides that drive, it provides the motivation, the direction, the structure, and, and we need that. In fact, structure is really important to feel safe, but we need that. So when I say stop and listen, that's bringing the divine masculine in. It brings presence, stillness, and also deep acknowledgement of the self exactly where you are without judgment. That's the divine masculine. And that then allows us to connect to life force. So the feminine essence is the creative force that creates life on earth, that makes form. And when we shut ourselves down and try and be self-reliant, we actually cut ourselves off from life force. We don't rest. We don't connect and plug ourselves back in again to receive that sexual essence and that, that sexual energy and that creative life force, which are the same thing. Also, unfortunately, it's because it's been, I don't know what the right word would be, but it's been vilified in a way, you know, sexuality. Uh, it's It's been made into something crass and far less than what it truly is. I mean, that that, that sexual energy is, is the life-giving force that creates people that <laughs> creates projects it gives it gives the energy for anything to take form in life and it's extremely healing as well very healing and life-giving so tuning into the divine masculine and divine feminine brings that connection back to the life force to a sense of being held and supported guided because it helps intuition and and just a deep a deep remembering of one's truth. So that's the connection part. After we've connected, we can feel safe enough to start letting go of the old ways. So this is the release phase. And so this is where I encourage people to, so when I work with clients, we'll look at the belief systems that no longer serve them. And we also look at the, the traumas because trauma is a massive part of this. So, I mean, I've spoken about not being seen fully as a child or not being acknowledged fully. So a lot of people also have like over trauma layered on top of that too. And, and just to say that when we're not seen fully, that is a trauma because it can feel like if I show up in this way, I'm not going to be accepted. And if I'm not accepted, I won't survive. You know, if you're not part of the tribe, if you're rejected, you die. So at the base of it is a survival fear. So we adapt ourselves, and they're actually trauma adaptations. We adapt ourselves to become the versions that we think we need to be, to be loved and good enough and to belong. And, and so that can be very subtle, and then there can be the overt traumas of abuse, unpredictable losses, uh, changes in, that, that, that were really hectic. So working through that to help people to feel safe can also help calm the nervous system. So that's the release phase. And once we've released, we create space because we let go of all that old stuff. And then when you've created space, you can receive. When you tuned into the, the feminine and the masculine, you can receive. You receive life force. You receive intuition. You receive guidance about what your body needs. And you start to listen to that voice that has been there the whole time that you haven't been listening to for a very, very long time. And it's also about meeting your own needs because when you meet your own needs, what you find is that you'll find it's almost like then other people start to meet your needs, but it has to start with you. And then the final place is flow, which is as you start doing all of that, what tends to happen is, is life just gets easier. Because instead of working against the natural flow and rhythms of life, we tune into 
exactly what needs to unfold. And it doesn't always make logical sense. So, so like I was telling you, Krista, before we started this, we are now moving and we're only, we're moving because of financial difficulties. But at the beginning of the year, when we spoke about moving, I resisted the idea so much because we've only just moved into a house and I love it. Well, two, we've been here two and a half years, but it was a seven year plan plus. And um, I tuned in, a couple of things happened. They just got us to the situation where I said to my husband, we've either got to make a decision now or we're going to be bought to our knees um, because we, keep on, we kept on waiting for something to happen, to force us. And I said to him, I don't want to actually wait for that something to happen because it's already starting to happen and it's getting damn hard. And I did a little exercise where I things on a piece of paper and I stand on them and feel what they feel like, turn them upside down and I get a sense in my body. And I got such a deep sense that we need to move. And and the place that we were thinking about, I, I actually, when I tuned into it, I've, I had the sensation of being pregnant and birthing something new. And I was like, oh, okay, this is it. So I then, once we'd been there and we actually put an offer in a house, I said to my husband, I had such a deep knowing, oh, this is exactly how it was meant to happen. We had to be pushed to this point to make this decision because this is where we were always meant to be. Because interestingly, even when we'd first made the move to where we are now, we were looking for something even more quiet and uh, rural. As per se- yeah, uh, rural is probably the best word. And we opted for not quite that, but more that than what we'd had. And now we're going much more that. <laughs> so we were meant to do that the first time. And, and so by giving into that, I can't tell you how many things have fallen into place. It's just flowed. The synchronicities have been amazing. So that is where the flow starts to happen. And that's the magic of letting go of our expectations and shoulds and creating space to just allow. But then we really need to trust we're held. And that's where that's, the spiritual is very important, whatever that looks like for people. Lovely. Thank you for walking us through that. That's such a beautiful path of really reconnecting and, and coming back to yourself because I think that we hold so much within us when we can actually be quiet enough to listen mm-hmm. and connect with those answers and remember which actually it's, it's actually and remember like remembering yes. yeah totally yeah well and that actually brings me to the next thing that I wanted to bring up which is that you are also a body talk mm. practitioner and I think this probably fits in with the conversation that we're having here can you tell folks a little bit more about what body talk is and how that fits into this idea of connecting and listening and remembering with your body. Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, for those who know kinesiology, it's very similar. It includes elements of kinesiology in that we use muscle testing to ask the body's innate wisdom. What is it that is out of balance here? Firstly, there's so many elements that are involved in that balance. It's your physiological body. It's your psychology, it's your belief systems, your active memories, your emotions, which can get stuck as energy in your body as well. So there's energy, the energy flow, uh, energy meridians. There's your environment and, and there's the spiritual aspects as well. There's so many different things that we include in what needs to be in balance. And they're all like a bicycle wheel and And like I mentioned earlier, normally your body will bring you back into balance naturally, but sometimes when there's just too much going on and too much stress, then it's that trip switch trips and someone else needs to come and push it back up again. And 
in the same way, if, if we have that bicycle wheel and one spoke breaks, it then immediately shifts the entire balance of the whole bicycle wheel and, and another one starts to have more pressure put on it. And then that might break if it's not addressed. And your doctor or your psychologist will address aspects of that imbalance, which can help for a while. But unfortunately, often what then happens is there's an, a repetition of the symptom or the experience because other things that we're feeding into it haven't been addressed. So you use the, we talk about a body as having innate wisdom about that balance and what, what that looks like. And we use the muscle testing to ask the body or the innate wisdom, what is out of balance here? So we run through a protocol of questions and say, is this a priority? Is this what we're looking at to balance? And we get a yes or no based on the response from the muscle testing. So we're working with energy, with the energy field. And we then can, we may need to get further details on things, but essentially you get a whole formula that is it the body's way of saying, it's like the body's message of this is what's out of balance. And then it involves tapping. So we'll tap on, the, we've got, we, we talk about three brains. You have a head brain, a heart brain, and a gut brain. And in fact, you'll find that they have very similar makeup. Um, and we have more neurotransmitters, well, not more, we have a huge amount of neurotransmitters in our gut, which makes it a, a massively powerful brain that controls so much of our mood and our wellness and general state of being. And they all have an immune component. So we have three brains. And we tap on all different brain centers, which is basically then it also sends a standing wave through the electromagnetic field that, that's around the body. And that gives the body the impetus to make the changes. It's like saying to the body, hey, this is what's out of balance. Can you um, sort this out now? And then what we find is for some people, they can have profound shifts. For some people, they get worse and then they get better because they almost, whatever's going on surfaces to be released. And for some, it's just like this gradual sort of, they they, they come to you and they say, you know, I'm not, I don't know if it, if it helped. I mean, look over their, you know, their, their form and say, well, these were the symptoms. You said you were doing this. Have you got that? No. And you were doing this. Is that still happening? No. And, and they're like, huh. Actually, quite a lot has changed, hasn't it? Um, so it's really quite a beautiful system. And, and yeah, so it's, it's helping the body just to recalibrate to its basic state that it knows it needs to be in. But because there's been too much stress going on, it hasn't been able to get there. I mean, one of the main things about body talk is it relaxes the whole body to be able to get into that optimum state to bring about the changes that it needs to, to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that can be one of the things that when you're dealing with an overwhelming amount of stress and you're, and let's face it too, we're talking to mothers here. So we're dealing with overwhelming stress and then dropping you into the midst of motherhood, which makes things that much harder that all of that stress can be like white noise, making it really difficult to listen to yourself and mm. tap in like you were saying to that innate wisdom, because I, I too believe that our bodies contain an innate wisdom for healing, right? It's part of the work that I do with TRE clients is yes. tapping. Oh, you do TRE. Wisdom. Lovely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but that's sort of the, the stress that surrounds us. It sort of reminds me of the peanuts, uh, cartoon character. What's his name? The pig pen with like the, the dirt that's all around him. Right. I feel like stress sometimes clouds our ability 
to have that conversation with ourselves. And so I love that body tax seems like a way to sort of cut through that noise Mm -hmm. and reconnect to what those answers are that your body has already within itself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I was saying to you, it's it's such a lovely tool for children and as a parent, because you can teach them the tapping. Although I have to say, my children hate doing anything I tell them to do. <laughs> like as a psychologist <laughs> and as a body talk practitioner, if I tell them to do it, they won't do it. But if someone else tells them right. to do it, they'll do it. But I, I have had, my daughter will ask me to do a, a technique on her at night, which helps to relax her. And she'll say, mom, can you do the finger thing? Which is basically putting pressure on the eyeball because there's so many nerves in the eyes to the brain and it's all linked to the nervous system. Mommy, can you do the eye thing? And then I'll do that. And <laughs> it helps her to sleep. And my son will also ask me to to do that, to do the body talk thing or talk to my body because it's not – so it very seldom they will. But the, it's a tool that you can teach them because the tapping is quite mm-hmm. fun. So a lot of children have been taught how to do the courtesies technique. And, in fact, just Google – Body Talk Courtesies, C-O-R-T-I-C-E-S. And there's loads of videos there. I've, I've posted one. So if you Google my name and or Google, I mean any, I always say Google as if it's the only search engine there is. But if you search for my name and Courtesies, you'll find a little um, video there about how to, how to tap out Courtesies. And you can teach your children to do it as soon as they're Um, battling bits with overwhelm and can't think straight it's a really really nice little technique to do okay I love that well I will I will find that video and then put it in the show notes so for anyone listening you'll be able to connect to that I love that idea I did I did not know that this is something that you could do with your kids as well so Mm -hmm. I always I always love those tools that can you can even do it in utero when the baby's in utero which is really fun yeah Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Lovely. I love that. Yeah. Carrie, this has been a wonderful conversation. If you could go back in time and give yourself advice as a younger mother, what's one thing that you would go back and tell her? Just sleep with Jocelyn in my bed. <laughs> no. Oh. Um, I, it's not as simple as that because I know that I didn't always, that I tried to put her in another room because I just couldn't sleep with her with me. But and it's it's much more than just letting her sleep with me. It's because I had read all the books that said I should do it this way and this way and this way. That by the time my son came along and I was so tired, he just, he slept on me for three years. He lived on me, he slept on me. And I wish that I had thrown out everyone else's, no, but then you're going to create dependency and whatever else the story is and just allowed my daughter to just be with me, sleep in the bed with me all the time. But then I would have also have needed to have been a more relaxed mom. <laughs> yes. And I can say too, I will say my son sounds like your son, except he's my firstborn. And it, a lot of mothers, I, I love co-sleeping and I have loved it. And when my son was about a little over two, I couldn't do it anymore. And I actually needed more rest. And now I sleep mm-hmm. separate from my husband and my son. So mm-hmm. they co-sleep together in the the big room. Yeah. And then I sleep in the guest bedroom and that. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that is permission to let the situation change as it needs to. Yeah. And that not every situation that works well for one mom is going to work well for another. Yeah. Because in the beginning, I needed to co-sleep. I had to have my baby next to me. 
And now I'm happy to not sleep mm-hmm. next to him. And that is only through me allowing myself the permission to let that story change yeah. and let things grow and evolve. So. It's so true because we, we do it for this or that reason sometimes instead of because it feels good. And if we're doing it right. for this or that reason, then we don't allow ourselves to change the reason. Like, like the reason then becomes everything instead of actually the feeling of what this is, is has changed. It, it's no longer necessary. It, it, it can adapt. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because it's sort of putting the validation and where the, where the permission comes from, from an external source and exactly. sort of internally sourcing yeah. it. Yeah, we just do musical beds, lots of musical beds. <laughs> nice. I like that. Carrie, where can listeners connect with you? Website? Yeah. So it's it's www.kerrymagnus.net. And and for those who are battling with burnout and fatigue, I have got a Facebook group as well. So I can give you that, that link as well to put in the notes if anyone wants to join. Sure. And what's the name of the group? It's um so it's what's it, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash conscious energy. Conscious energy. Okay. Mm. I love that. Okay. All right. I will be sure to put that in the show notes as well. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciated this conversation. Thank you. It was really lovely. All right, mamas, that wraps up another episode of the Radical Mother Village. Thank you so much for listening. I know how valuable your time is, and I appreciate that you're willing to spend some of it with me each week. If you are looking to dive deeper and connect with fellow Radical Mothers, you can do that by joining the virtual village that I facilitate over on Facebook. You can find the link to that in the show notes, or you can also search within Facebook itself for the Radical Mother Village. Over there, you'll find other like-minded mamas doing this work, supporting and encouraging one another, and it's also a great way to connect directly with myself, get a sneak peek on upcoming content, and get access to exclusive offers and resources. (music) 